Hey guys, welcome to Electronic Dance Money, your number one business resource for making money as electronic musicians and producers. All right, sweet. Let's go. We got a brand new episode of Electronic Dance Money, and this one's going to be one for the books. I have a feeling this is going to be a classic episode. There's going to be a crazy amount of knowledge dropped in this one, and today we're going to be talking about how to get booked, and this is going to be kind of an extension of the previous episode we had DJ Sean Johnson on, where he's a professional DJ, and he does a lot of weddings, bar shows, um, and club shows. So we talked about how to run an actual DJ business, mobile DJ business. This one's actually going to be about getting booked on the shows you want to play or getting booked in your local scene so you can do local shows um, and be able to play what you want to play in the show that you want to play. Whereas if you play at a bar, you kind of have to play to the crowd and um, the bar, what they're wanting to hear, or a wedding. You know, you can't just drop a DJ snake track at a wedding if that's not what they have on their list of tracks they want to hear. So um, today we've got so-called productions in. And is it so-called productions or so-called production? Yeah, so um, so-called itself is an actual like music project between me, myself, uh, Dylan. I'm Dylan, by the way, uh, Dylan Carlson. <laughs> and then my counterpart is Brandon Berg. Hey. Um, so we started that group a couple of years back and then, um, it, it morphed into so-called productions, which is now, uh, the production company that's run by obviously me and Brandon, um, Nolan, who's also on this podcast. And then our good buddies, Ben went and, uh, Jacob Doherty. Yeah. So, um, Dylan, since you're kind of, uh, doing the intro here, why don't you get a little bit into your story, a brief your brief story and background in electronic music and kind of how you came to where you are now as brief as you can be with that. Cause I'm sure it's a big long uh, story like most people. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask if you wanted the, uh, the full story of where my roots are in electronic music or if you wanted pretty much first from the start of so-called and how it's um, evolved yeah. into so-called production. I mean, how did you get involved in electronic music? How long ago was that? And then um, up until about this point, kind of, I guess that is kind of giving the full story. But um, I mean, when did, you, when did you get started with electronic music? So I started producing very unprofessionally, I would say probably almost 10 years ago. Um, it kind of started like, I listened to uh, Harlem Shake by Bauer. <laughs> oh, shit, kinda... like 2013? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like... dances with that one. Yeah, well, it was, like, even farther back than that. Like, that was kind of when I started producing. Um, obviously, I've listened to, like, Skrillex and all that prior to, um, you know, hearing about Bauer. But once I started listening to Bauer and all the unique stuff that he was doing with um, live sampling, everything like that it really got me into wanting to produce um from there i had several garbage projects that i was kind of you know learning how to use ableton exploring my avenues there um and went to college met brandon 
and had a solo project going. We both had our own solo projects going, but uh, we collaborated on a project or a song and it went really well. And I really liked his style. Uh, we complimented each other and my we- my weaknesses were his strengths and vice versa. So uh, we started so-called probably, what was it, two years ago, Brandon? Coming up on three, three I think. Yeah, two years ago. Three years ago. Three- Three years in November, I'm pretty sure, yeah. was our kind of like rough date for uh, so-called um, our first release. I guess it'll be three years from our first release in April. Released our uh, debut single, Ultraviolet. And that was kind of like how we defined our sound as more future-based producers. Um, from there, you know, we just started doing some remixes uh we've got an official ill gaze remix that we put out and we got to know dylan that way um he helped us out with a lot of our production techniques and whatnot because he runs that whole producer dojo thing um and obviously like the whole thing behind so-called is like my workflow is insanely fast and brandon's such a technical person when he listens to things (laughs) like he starts to nitpick as he goes through and then he'll get lost in the whole um trying to complete a song in a very short amount of time or trying to get an idea on paper. So uh, that's where I shine. Like I'll throw everything at the wall and then it'll, it'll sound like garbage. But you know, at the end of the day, like I'll just send this hot mess to Brandon and Brandon's got really technical ears and he'll be like, all right, like this is what he wants to convey. This is how I'm going to clean it up. And so it just works really well that way. And we're at the point now where it's kind of like, I don't intend on learning any of the technical aspects because it's it's just going to draw away from my creativity and I'm going to start going down that rabbit hole that Brandon goes down. I love that you understand that. You, you saw that and understand it and you're going to stay true to what you're good at because there's a lot of this is something I preach on the podcast a lot is a lot of producers, they want to do it all. They want to be it all. They want to they want to be the producer, the sound engineer. They want to sample all their own stuff. They want to mix it all. They want to master it all. They want to promo. They want to do every single thing. What ends up happening is they're focusing on so many different things and trying to center their attention on so many different things that they're really bad at a lot of things instead of being really great at just a few things, which is such a key proponent to being very successful as a musician or just in the audio business in general. You have to be really good at just a couple of things that way and then outsource everything else. Have someone else to do the other stuff you're not good at so that you can just be the best at whatever it is you are good at uh, and let everyone else shine and they'll make you look even better because your attention's not drawn away from what you're good at and then you just you're putting out a lot of bad stuff everywhere and it just kind of makes your image look a little bit worse. So. I'm really I'm I'm impressed that you see that because not a lot of not a lot of people catch that early on enough to where they can just focus on one thing and then just ride that wave and it usually takes them just so much further. Well, absolutely, Christian. Um, the thing is, is like I don't want to make Brandon out to seem like he's not a creative individual because a lot of the tracks that he does send me are like su- super like creative and. I, I know where he wants to go with it, but there's a reason why he sends me, you know, these um, 16 to like 32 bar loops where he's like, hey, man, like this is a really cool idea. Finish it. And then I'll be like, oh, OK, spend three hours on it, flip it back to him. And then he's like, OK, you understood where I was going. I Let's finish this. Um, but yeah, so 
kind of like going past that um once we started producing beats like or as a as a duo i should say um we've always been playing these house shows around our college town and it just got to a point where like the scene was so political and like if you weren't friends with these people like you weren't getting booked and we just stopped we didn't want to be a part of that so we started playing at these like house shows and whatnot and it got to the point where we're like okay you know we're getting in trouble throwing these house shows cops are showing up to bust them let's go to a a public platform so we got linked in with a local bar in our college town started just throwing like really small intimate shows like maybe five ten people because nobody was there to like actually hear about it or like we weren't pushing promo on facebook more than a week out and it wasn't really taken off as much as we wanted it to from there uh we brought on nolan and he started like playing shows with us a little bit more he, he's got a ton of friends so that was like another group of people that we could market to to bring out and like it started to get bigger and bigger and then we finally got to a point where we're like okay let's run this like promoters would run a show in minneapolis and all these other venues that we want to get booked at let's be on par with their event promotion how they run events obviously we can't really compete with their sound and production level yet but we wanted to be as professional as possible so you know we made sure our fucking our oh i'm sorry can we swear on this no you're good oh yeah i fucking all the time on this <laughs> okay. show dude okay, i sorry. put explicit on every episode because i never know which ones i'm cussing a bunch in and which sometimes i'm over the top and i have to edit a couple times but, okay. oh yeah i cuss all the time. okay I just wanted to make sure, but uh, so <laughs> so like we were making sure our, our T's were crossed and our dies or our eyes were dotted in every aspect, um, and that goes as far as like our graphic design to how we handled artist relations. Every show that we do, we're trying to do something better than we did the last time, so we're constantly learning. I think like the first year of shows that we did under it wasn't even under so-called productions because so-called productions only has been a real entity for about a year now. It was just always a so-called show because, you know, I was or me and Brandon were the ones that were putting it on with the help of like Nolan and Jake and all these other people that were pushing promo after we threw our first festival in February of last year, which that was a nightmare. And we can talk about that uh, <laughs> yeah. later on. That's in interesting. Very in Wisconsin. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a great learning experience. I'll say that. But oh, man, my stress levels were through the roof. I've, I've heard festivals are not fun to run. They're fun to no. play, not fun to run. <laughs> run that well, the hard way, yeah. I mean, it's fun because we love what we do. Like, right. There's, yeah. there's no doubt about it. I love going to work at a bar till starting at, you know, 5 p.m. on a Friday when I just worked a 40 hour week and going down and seeing my friends and putting on these amazing shows of local talent to kids that wouldn't see this anywhere else. Otherwise, you'd have to pay, you know, a $20 cover to go to the cities or, you know, you're you're driving Plus an Uber ride or right. you know. Oh yeah, yeah, that too. Right. And it it just got to the point where we're like, okay, let's do something in our town that's never been done before. Let's make this this underground house party scene public. Cuz we know all these talented artists, we know that these guys can throw good shows. We just need a venue to do it. So we got linked in with this bar called the Abbey Pub and Grub and bless her soul cuz she took a chance on us and it really has paid off for her 
and and ourselves, we've gotten a platform where we can actually do some good for ourselves as producers, promoters, booking agents, venue kind of owners. We don't really own it, but we get the idea of like what it's like to own a venue without actually owning a venue. But yeah, man. So like we threw our first festival. It was super stressful, but that's kind of when uh, SoCal Productions finally got its like a physical entity. It stopped being a so-called show, and now it became a so-called production. And yeah, we... I feel like that. I feel like that event was really the first one that we all really had to work together on to make it, like pull it off because yeah. there was so much that went on that day, and there was way more than one or two people could have handled it going on. If any one of us wasn't there at that event, it wouldn't have happened. Like no. it was like yeah. we were stretched pretty thin. Yeah, no, it's it's a good bonding experience for sure. I I mean so. Uh, Dylan, what's your like? What's your title in the company? What do you personally do? Like, what do you kind of oversee the most? I mean, I guess like the biggest thing for, like, if I was gonna throw a label on it, I I guess I would have to say that I'm the CEO. So like, pretty much like the final say. Well, obviously, right right now, like I can't run it. I'm in Afghanistan, but so like it's my entire team is doing what I would be doing there. But yeah, like everything from talking to the venue owner, trying to get the schedule out as far as like who we're going to book for the semester, which I mean, it's not solely me. I do take an account like uh, Nolan knows a lot of different artists. Brandon knows different artists. Jake knows different artists. Uh, like all of my team members know different artists. So it's kind of a, I, I take their opinion into account. But at the same point in time, like when it comes down to like, who are we going to book? How much are we going to pay them? and what what all goes into like the final cut of what we're going to put out for the year or the semester it's ultimately my decision other than that it's just kind of like upper level management stuff making sure that you know we're you know not you know putting people in danger honestly it it's kind of evolved it's ever evolving being in the position that i'm in it's it's very hard to put into perspective like exactly what i do I know what you mean because I'm I experience the same thing because I run my own business so it's kind of like you you kind of have all these different hats and this is you know this is kind of something that what I talk about in this show so often is how important it is to niche down and outsource things but at the same time when you're running a business you do have to wear multiple hats and be able to kind of do multiple things just in case you need to kind of pick up the pace for someone or something um, and you need to make sure things get done. I'm sure it's the same case for just about everyone involved in the business is it's kind of like you all relatively share responsibilities and are having to get things done in an orderly manner. So if someone needs to get something done, I'm sure someone's able to do it. I'd like to move on to um, Brandon, if you want to kind of give your background and talk a little bit about how you got started and you know how you got to this point as well. I'd love to hear your story. Yeah, so starting out with music production is a lot of the same story that Dylan had. When I was 16, I decided I'm going to download FL Studio and start writing music because I already had a musical background. I hearing all these songs that just impressed me. Like, what's happening in all these songs? How can I make this? How can I channel this energy my myself? And so I went along and I had produced music from about 16 to when I was 21. I met Dylan. And at that point, uh, we, like Dylan said, we started so-called as a DJ producer duo because our, you know, my strengths 
were the opposite of his strengths. And so instead of correcting our weaknesses, we went in and decided let's just invest in our strengths and specialize instead of trying to, like you say, you know, be a jack of all trades. Um, and then going on from that, you know, we started so-called productions, just like Dylan said. Um, but yeah, there's not really too much interesting in my story. Um, for roles in the company, again, we take the same idea. We all specialize. So for me, I always try to you know, take pride in how is the live sound at the venue? How am I going to make sure that everything sounds good, that everyone's having a good experience? Um, Nolan, right, you specialize mostly in graphic design and live running the live mm -hmm. event as well. Yeah. Um, we have another member, Ben. He works mostly with our lights, and he's actually the – he is with Antics Studio, I believe, right? Yeah, the Antics. Antics, yeah. And he uh, runs most of our lights. And so each, each member has, you know, a specialized um, job to do. We all focus on investing in our strengths and less of trying to correct our weaknesses, I'd say. Right. Yeah. Right. I love that. I love that's that's like a really it's a really valuable thing to um, seek out is just working. At, there's this book called Strengths Finder 2.0. Have you guys ever heard of it? No, no, no. It is great. Highly recommend it. I'll put that uh, link in the show notes. But basically, I think it's like twenty dollars. You buy it and it gives you a code that each book comes with and you go online and you it's kind of like this personality test that you take takes like 45 minutes and it tells you what your top five strengths are and like there's an intro for the book it's like 30 or 40 pages long that you read and it talks about this philosophy of just focusing on your strengths and how important sh focusing on your strengths are rather than trying to build up your weaknesses and so it's got like 30 or 40 different strengths in the book and so when you take the personality test it tells you what your top five strengths are and how you can focus on those and just work on those to build those up and make those even stronger so that you can provide more and you're way more efficient than you normally would be just trying to build up your weaknesses. A really, really good book. But I mean, you guys are kind of already basing your business philosophy on that. So it's really great to see. Nolan, you want to kind of give your background and how you got thrown into this mix? Because it seems like they kind of had everything started and then you kind of <laughs> yeah. jumped in. Um, I mean, well, I got into music production, making hip hop beats for kids who wanted to rap when I was in high school. And I just uh, never was one that likes to talk into a mic a whole lot. Um, I've gotten better at that through shows and all that. But, uh, since then it kind of evolved more into dance music because I've always had a love for it as well as like hip hop. And you can find that influenced in my own tunes that I make. I met Dylan and Brandon through our, uh, our music production club at uw stout i don't know we were never like really close or anything like that going through it but then you know we we got to go through the same like small scene at house parties and house shows and stuff like that and uh i i'd actually like played a small event i think a little bit before at the abbey for one of our friends graduations and then they eventually hit me up when they started getting more involved with the abbey and then I think just maybe because I already, you know, had some experience. We both did dance music and in different, you know, ways because uh, I normally do house music. And uh, then from there, when they started doing it more consistently at the Abbey, I was pretty much involved. Like from the from the first couple on, I I really like kind of stepped up and stepped in to like help out with what they're doing because 
I personally really enjoyed it. I always love playing shows and getting my stuff out there. And uh, I guess it's it's been a it's been a good ride ever since. That's kind of how I got into it with these guys. Nice. I love it. I love you guys' stories. They're all there. I mean, obviously, Dylan and Brandon, you guys kind of have the same story because it seems like you guys have been together since the beginning. But um, I mean, just the the come up of the what? Well, well, I would say what's interesting is most production companies kind of have the same story. They see this this hole in the market. And this is why I wanted to have you guys on or actually why I want to do a second episode with you guys to talk about how to actually run a production company. But they see a hole in the market where no one's doing anything and they go, you know what? I can do this. I see somewhere where I can make a difference and I can bring a change. And you guys saw that and started just throwing frat party shows, throwing house party shows. And this almost across the board is how it starts. Someone's just like, hey, pay me 200 bucks. I'll come over. I'll bring my stuff over. We'll bring a couple DJs and we'll just party all night. And then you go, you know what? I want to legitimize this because it does have it. You know, cops start cracking down on the shows. You get noise complaints and all this, all these other things. Um, and then you can have sketchy liability issues too. If you're like, per, you know, saying, Hey, come over here. We're hosting this party. Then it's like, Oh, you guys are responsible for everyone here. Um, and then you go, well, let's legitimize this. Let's find a venue and let's actually get in with someone who has a liquor license, who can sell liquor, where we can be loud until two or three in the morning. I just love the story of going from let's throw frat house parties to now we're throwing a fucking festival two years later. It's, it's, it's awesome and I appreciate it and respect it so much. You guys are located in uh, Minnesota, is that correct? Um, was both like Minnesota, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. Where we generally throw shows is in uh, Wisconsin. In a okay, town are you guys like Menominee. right on the border? Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. about like an hour drive away from Minneapolis. Let's get into the first part of this, and this was kind of my first idea for the sh- the episode. Was my thought process was well, I know people want to get booked. Well, who's doing the booking most of the time? Well, I mean, unless you know a booking agent at a venue or, you know, someone who just does booking at a venue, it's kind of going to be difficult to get a hold of those people because they're so damn busy. Next step down is usually promoters. Promoters are usually helping out with uh, the booking and finding artists. So what primarily are promoters or bookers looking for in general when they're looking for an artist? And we'll kind of break this down in different slots, you know, opening slot. Uh, middle level or uh, uh, yeah, middle slot and then a headlining slot. But primarily, what are you guys looking for? I mean, obviously, do you want someone with a history of production? Probably someone who can bring heads in the door. Uh, do they? Do you guys require that artists actually sell tickets? Because that is usually a trend in the scene, especially when you're just getting involved and wanting to get your first show. They go, okay, well, you need to bring heads in sell 20 tickets and you've got a slot mm-hmm. i i honestly i hate that approach yeah. to shows I've, I've had to do it before to other places and, and they're really good about it at least in minneapolis they don't ever make you do that at the major venues there oh nice yeah, that's good for, yeah i've never heard it practiced in minneapolis at all oh um, that's awesome yeah so like i don't know i guess i can speak on uh like so when we're looking for an opener act first off we have to meet this person uh we're a very um tight-knit family in menominee as far as like the local scene um it's kind of uh 
one of those one of those things where you know if you um if you don't seem like a genuine person or a good person like we really don't want to risk our branding and our image on an opening dj that we paid twenty dollars for the night you know so we try to find you know our friends of friends or somebody who like was at a house party randomly like the same upbringing like these kids are still playing these underground shows that we don't even know about and now we want to bring them up the problem being is a lot of our opening acts weren't 21 and this being a 21 plus venue it becomes an issue so then we we have to wait until they're 21 to come out and play and this is just the venue's kind of policy it's not really our policy we have done kind of underground like hush hush don't say anything don't drink while you're here but you can come and play um but yes christian you touched on it uh can you bring heads in the door will you promote our show or will you promote your show so like sharing facebook um events is a big thing for us uh, we've let a couple of those incidences slide in the past but now we are really cracking down on people just you know getting booked for these shows not promoting not and then they wonder why like nobody shows up for their time slot as far as like who how we've gone like booking local acts for uh, other different not just like dj sets but like bands and stuff it's it's kind of uh, a little bit trickier process i would say bands are really hard there's not a whole lot of them out in our scene right now well there is but you know it's a band it's going to cost more and then how do we define how many people are going to come in the door that way with a dj like it's really easy it's one person and they're probably 15 friends that are going to come out for their slot but then after you know we do run events like uh, open decks which allows these newer djs producers whatever to come in use our gear and that gives them an approach where we get to meet them on a platform where they're pretty much showing off their talent for 30 minutes. Whoa. Yeah, it's a really cool idea. Um, and I can't even say that we came up with it. Um, that was really how me and Brandon first kind of got into playing shows in Minneapolis is we did an open deck night just before we had a show that we were booked out for that had CDJs and we wanted to get practice on them. So we took that same idea, brought in to our production, and now... Uh, we get you know new artists from the cities, Menominee, Eau Claire area, and it it works really well because those shows always do really well for some reason. I don't know if it's the open deck shows. Yes, mm-hmm. they do yeah. really well. Yeah, yeah, I and, think that's uh, definitely in part to people bringing out you know friends and there's like seven people that play that night because it's only yeah. I think slots. I think that has. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I do think that's that kind of is the key element to that because it's like open decks. They go oh shit, I can go play, like, I'm not necessarily booked, but I could potentially go play, hey, they all of a sudden hit up 10 friends and go, hey, I'm gonna go try playing the show, let's go there, and the next thing you know, you have a packed house, that's, that's fucking awesome, I love that idea, and that's, it, it really does help out the local scene and artists who are wanting to show off, like, hey, I, I can do this, and this is a way for them to prove to the people who are booking shows, so, I mean, to any artists out there, look in your city, look up if there's open decks, um, open deck. I mean, obviously you guys said Minneapolis does it. So if you're in Minneapolis struggling to find a show, look for something like that where you can showcase. And that's a great time to network because there are yeah, so many different, huge. 
so many different producers, so many different DJs in there. So even if you don't want to go play, that's probably going to be your best place to go network with all the people you need to meet in your local scene to help you get to where you want to be or to help out other people. Yeah, yeah. It's essentially it's essentially tryouts, but for DJ. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's awesome. It, I love it. Yeah. yeah, and like the that whole open decks thing, like it, it worked out really well, even from the jump. Um, and it, it's hard because like we get like our, our headlining locals that want to come out and play open decks and we have to be like, no, like this isn't for you. Like we get it. You want to come out and play and, you know, test run stuff. But like these shows aren't designed for you. So no, we're going to pass on booking you for these. Like you've got a headlining show in two weeks. Just, <laughs> yeah. Just come, yeah come out and play your show and then save everybody the the 30 minutes of your set that they're going to see in the next two weeks. Um, right. But right. honestly, like those open deck nights are really nice for us because one, we get to meet all the people. We get to see how many heads they're going to bring in. Um, we get to like, I think one of our biggest problems that we've dealt with in the past is these opening acts show up for their time slot at whatever, nine or 10 o'clock. And then as soon as their set's done, they leave with all their friends. And so, oh. Yeah. So that's heads coming in and leaving immediately. And it's like, okay, so now, like, that puts a sour taste in our mouth. Like, okay, we're not going to book you for shows past, you know, 11 o'clock because you're not, you're not going to stick around. I mean, here's pro tip number one for anyone who has an opening slot or you're going to play an opening slot. Bring people and don't let them leave for at least another couple of hours. I mean, this is, I didn't even think of that being the case at all. And how important that, not just to bring heads in the door, to, but to keep heads in the door. Um, especially if you're doing these open deck times, like you're getting a free time slot. The best way to repay that is to make sure your friends are staying. You and your friends are staying. Now, obviously, you don't want to hold your friends hostage. But the best way to do that is if you're going into one of these open deck events or you're going into um, uh, an opening slot, make sure you, you'll know plenty of time, you know, unless it's an open deck event. If you have a show coming up, you'll probably know what, what a month or two months in advance that you have a show coming up. Start saving some money, enough money to buy all of your friends that you're bringing at least a couple round of drinks. That's going to get your friends to stay, especially if you feed Every single one of your friends, two drinks, and they buy a drink themselves. That's three drinks in. They're pretty tipsy at that point. They're at a venue. They're listening to good music that they like. They're more than likely going to stay at that point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I think, oh, oh, sorry, ahead, Dylan, no. but yeah, I think that's honestly just one of the best tips for anybody getting started out or who wants to get booked is just go to the shows and Guy hang out shows. you gotta you can't really expect someone to want to help support you know what you want to do if you don't support what they want to do it's kind of a give and take sort of situation and then you know once you're showing up at the shows and your friends are there then they're going to want to come with you sometimes and that'll help out the events even more yeah that's that's something i talk to producers personally myself all the time when they're like i just can't get shows booked i can't do this i can't do that and I say, and this is, again, something I preach in the podcast constantly, what are you doing in your local scene? Because yes, like what, and, and so many producers are thinking big picture. They're thinking, okay, I want to be this touring artist. I, I live in Seattle, but I want to play in New York. Or I live in New York, but I want to play in LA. And yes, 
that's possible, but it's so much more difficult to expand and think big like that and try connecting with those people that are way across the U.S. Rather than, again, focusing on one thing, you focus on just your local scene and what are you doing in that local scene to provide any sort of value where people are going to support you. And once you can get that local support, it becomes way easier to get that regional support. And then once you get that regional support, it's even easier to go national. Um, But yeah, the key to local support is, are you going to shows? Go to shows, shake hands with the promoter, shake hands with the venue owner, shake hands with the DJ. Every time you go, like, don't, I mean, you can reintroduce yourself, but be like, hey, I met you at this show. So they continually remember your face and your name. So then they'll be like, oh, this guy's showing up consistently. He's providing value to me because he's ahead at the door. He's spending money at the show. He's doing this, this, and that. And then they're going to be a thousand times more willing to scratch your back at that point. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right, Christian. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for us. Like, come and meet us. Like, we're all really nice people for the most part. Like, yeah, most of the time I can come off to be a pretty big dickhead. <laughs> But that's only <laughs> like if I'm under a lot of stress, like Abby Palooza, if you're going to come up to me and be like, hey, man, like book me for a show, like I'm probably going to stab you. Like that's yeah, not the time. You don't want to open up with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, book me for a show. Well, yeah. And like I'm not going to name drop or anything like that, but we've had DJs in the past like DM me on Snapchat, which is not the way to go. But like I, I got to admire the hustle. But like they'll DM me and they'll be like, man, like you're sleeping on me, bro. Like, I know I can fucking kill it. And it's and it's like, all right, well, one, check yourself because like we you know, grinded. Like Brandon and I and Nolan and Jake and all these other people grinded playing house parties and like learning the ins and outs of how to be a good DJ before we got to this public platform where we're, you know, at capacity every time we play a show that has our name on. For every other time we've played, it's like an empty crowd. We've also done that in the past too. Like you have to have your share of like sets you play to an mm-hmm. empty venue. It's gonna happen if you're an opening DJ. It ha- well, it doesn't even happen to. I mean, not only opening. There's big artists where it happens to. I had a buddy who um, occasionally tours with Tritonal, and he played a show in a major city, opening up for Tritonal while he's on tour with them empty floor and he's like he's i mean he's got a significant amount of listeners on spotify he's he's a successful artist and i mean there was another female dj just like six months ago i forgot her name who posted a picture of uh her playing a show in ibiza to an empty room it like and she's a major touring artist worldwide so it's like it'll happen to you when you're even bigger than just an opening slot but yeah you do have to pay you kind of have to pay your dues like you have to play those shows those are the best times to experiment too and to like do new and fun things when no one's there to be like oh that's a fuck up like that's the best (laughs) time to do those fuck ups and get those fuck ups out that way you can move on from that and become better and learn from it well you're you're absolutely right um and like that's like what we like to see as promoters because obviously like we're there before the opening act even comes on to turn all the lights on and get everything set up so like if this opener comes in and he sees an empty room but he's playing some really not not necessarily like fire or bangers but really good atmosphere um in 
I think good consistency with what's yes. how the room is. Yes, like playing to the room. So like if it's an empty room, like don't play the number one rhythm song in the world. Like that's just yeah. like that <laughs> one, like one I don't want to hear it because I'm not a fan. And two <laughs> like, here comes this rant. Like <laughs> the, the energy the energy level doesn't match. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So energy like, level exactly. playing to like knowing that you have an opening slot and you're playing that energy level is is going to make the promoter one look at you in a completely different light other than just some kid off the street who likes to play out the best tunes that are getting played out right now if you can curate an actual set of like okay i have a 10 p.m slot i know there's not going to be a lot of people out other than my friends i'm going to play some stuff that's going to build the energy for the next act after me and then like so on and so on like all it does is one makes you look really professional and two the promoter's more likely to book you again probably a little bit later in the night because you're playing tracks that either the promoter hasn't heard and it's well put together or it's maybe the tracks that they wanted to hear for that time slot and it's still really well put together mm-hmm. uh so I guess let's move into because we're kind of already talking about opening slots and how to get opening slots. So you know, obviously, I think step one is go to the shows, shake hands with the promoters, shake hands with the DJs, consistently go to sh- if there's a show every couple of weeks, go to that show or every week if you can make it, go to it, hang out there for a couple of hours and bring friends too. You can bring friends every single time that all just shows. Okay, this guy's bringing in heads. From that point on, what is the next step for the for someone to take? Do they come up to you in person and say, "Hey, I'd like to play a show"? Because I think this is this is kind of the gray area where a lot of producers and DJs struggle because it's like they might be doing everything right. They might not be um, jumping the gun and just going, "Hey, you're you know you're sleeping on me. Book me. Can you book me? Is this show open?" Um, I think that's where they have the most trouble. So if they're coming to the shows, they're bringing people, they're doing everything right in that st- in that sense. What should their next step be? Should they be more involved with the DJs and have the DJs recommend them to you, or what? What would you say? Well, I mean, I can kind of chronicle like how me and Dylan did it because so like we went to the shows we've been going to the venue in the twin cities the bigger venue is skyway theater the loft um we met the promoter at this venue and we were at the show we met the guy connected with him on social media kind of touching on an episode i think i think it was one you did liking their stuff on social media commenting on them starting to make sure that he knows your name or he or she whoever the promoters they know your name and then at some point, once you've built a little bit of rapport, it's like, okay, hey, this artist that you have headlining on such and such date, my style would go really well with this artist. Like if no one's a house artist, like Abstract's playing at this event, like, yeah, I want to be an opener. For me, like Dylan, Future Base of Mid-Tempo, like, oh, um, Rez or, or um, Vincent's playing at the loft, like I want to open for that. Cool. So we actually, we did the open decks. We did an opening slot for Memba, like, like super early in the night. And then um, we played 8 p.m. for two friends. And it was a sold-out show, but we were, like, first artists in the door. Like, the lights were still on in the venue, and we started playing. And we started a crowd of, what, 10 of our friends. And at the end of our set, 
like 855, mm-hmm. 850, there were about 30, 35 people there, right? So like we did a good job of building the energy and we like were able to prove to that promoter like, hey, we know our shit. And so now when we play at that venue, we're playing like 10, 11, midnight. So it's kind of that whole get to know the promoter, build rapport on social media, build rapport in person. And then it's like, okay, let me open up the venue. Like, let me be the first guy there and play to nobody. And let me prove to you, like, I'm not going to fuck this up. Okay. So that's how we did it. Yeah, I think that I think that's a good approach. I think getting the both the physical and online approach is great. And yes, no, that that's something I preach all the time. Before you ever ask anyone for anything, you should obviously be getting to know them. That's you know, build the relationship first, and then find out how you can provide value at the same time. Right. You know, obviously, most if shows you're go- not even planned. No, no. You, if you go to the show and that, I mean, going to the show and hanging out and bringing heads there is providing value to not just the promoter or the venue owner, but the DJs they're also playing too. Yeah. So if you mm-hmm. get to know the DJs, that could open you up into a whole nother world as well. But then, yeah, you know, when you're online, don't sh- don't jump in their inbox, like their stuff, comment on their stuff, and find where you guys have similar tastes and. That way they get to know your face and maybe they'll like your comment here and there or reply to your comment. Um, And then you can, you know, when you see an opportunity and I would say do that for a solid two months or so, because you really want to build, establish a foundation for this relationship. And then you're actually able to slide in their DMs and say, hey, I think this, you know, the show is coming up. I think this is a good opportunity to show you that I think, you know, I can pull this together and I can bring heads to the show. Um. Dylan, do you have anything to say to that? Yeah, pro tip. How to get on a promoter's good side. Share the promotions for the Facebook events. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We've got tons of local DJs and opening acts that share it. And trust me, we see it. And it makes us feel really highly of that person. Like, even if it's not your show, if you share an event, we will notice it. Like 100%, we see those shares come through and we're like, okay, like this kid is sharing all of our events regardless if he's opening for it. He doesn't hit us up hardly at all to get booked anymore. Let's book him for a show. Just to kind of, it's, the music industry is so quid pro quo. Like, yes. And, and honestly, like it's a double-edged sword in that sense. Like, all right, and we're dealing with that right now on our own personal, like, internal stuff, but, like, it, if you scratch somebody's back, they're more likely to scratch yours, and really, one, it's going to get you booked more if you have the talent, but if you're just going above and beyond with your promotion and helping other people get heads in the door and helping the production company get heads in the door, you will be noticed 100%. It's all about providing value. Everything we do as musicians and entrepreneurs or business people in the music world, it is 100% about how you are providing value to the person that you want to provide value to or that you want to be on their good side. If in I mean Dylan just said it, sharing a face if if all it takes is sharing a Facebook event for a promoter to be like I fucking love this dude. That is the most simple thing that you can do where you are providing some of the most value possible to that person. Uh, I fucking love it. It's 
it is so, 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 so detrimental to be providing value in however many assets that you can. We've been kind of talking about all the things to do to get booked as an opener. What about the things not to do? Because I think that is just as important, if not more important, to talk about what you should not do if you're trying to get booked for a show. Okay. Don't get uh, fucked up and punch the promoter. <laughs> or fight yeah. one of our staff members. <laughs> yeah. That's never happened so, before. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> biggest thing is, as, a, as an artist that's trying to get booked for shows, the company you keep reflects about you as a person. So it, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you weren't there with them. If somebody says, hey, like I know this person, like he'll vouch for me and I just caught you trying to steal something from me, like that's one hundred percent a way not to get booked anymore and quite possibly screamed at outside a venue on the biggest event that we've ever thrown in our lives. <laughs> like this is, it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, honestly, like don't, don't hit me up at 2am asking to get booked when you're drunk and shit after you just, you know, we're at a show. Don't, don't have any ego, like know your place. Like if you're, if you're very humble when you approach me and be like, Hey man, like I really like what you guys are doing. I would love to be booked for a show is a way better way of saying it than you're sleeping on me, bro. Like I could fucking kill it. And then you show up and you completely bomb on that night. And it's like, all right, well you didn't kill it. You're, you're not, I'm not just some guy off the street. I've been doing this for little, uh, almost a decade, if not more than a decade. Like you, you're not going to impress me by doing that. Ego is a big one. Ego is huge. It's interesting because where you see the most ego is in some of the smallest artists and then also the biggest artists. And where you see a lot of that ego disappears kind of in that middle when like you're relatively successful, but you're not incredibly well known. And I think that has a lot to do with like if you take care of it, if you check your ego early enough in the game, it'll take you way further than anything else will. Um, but then as that success rapidly picks up, that ego just immediately comes back into place once you think you're the shit and you're on top of the world. So ego is an important one. And I would say to anyone, if you don't know if you have issues with ego, read Ego is the Enemy. Ego is the Enemy. I just finished that book like the other day. And it is. have you guys read that one at all? No. Nope. no you guys it. should. <laughs> it's, it's fucking incredible. It is. It, it helps you check your ego and make sure that like in all these different facets of your life, uh, y you're making sure that ego is not what's taking over and making you make rash bad rational decisions. And it's the one thing that will definitely help you overcome this, this stick of ego that you might have early on in the game. And it helps you kind of check it when you're sending messages to people, especially if you're wanting to get something You'll you'll catch yourself being like, I think my ego is playing into this response right now or this message that I'm about to send. So that's another really good book. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes. 
Uh, actually, going off of that ego thing, too, I think something that a lot of people don't really think about, too, is, you know, if you are on social media with said promoter that you're trying to get booked by or something, just be about your business online. There are so many people who are, you know, overinflated personalities online. They're always causing issues and getting into drama with people. That That's a big tip to show promoters like that they don't really want to deal with you if you're going to be out causing issues all the time on social media, calling people out, oh, yeah. criticizing the way things yeah. are in the industry, stuff like that. Yes. No one wants to work with someone who's negative all the time. This is, you know, this is something that I was told by some of my old mentors back in like 2014. Um, I was posting a bunch of political stuff all the time and I was super new to production um, and just the scene, no, not the scene in general, but pr- mostly production, getting into DJing. And um, they were like, stop, stop posting political stuff online. They're like, people see that and people, if they have, it sucks because if people have the, a different opinion than you and they don't like that opinion, they're going to completely blacklist you because they don't like your political, especially in this political climate too. There's so many people that will just outright blacklist you for having a specific opinion and so ever since they told me that i was i really kind of looked at it and i was like yeah no it kind of makes sense that people don't want you know it, it that's unfortunately the world we work in especially as creatives you can work with whoever you want and however you want so um ever since then i didn't i've never posted another political post to my public facebook page ever and even then i started looking at like I, I just stopped posting on Facebook pretty much altogether on most social media sites unless I really liked something that I was looking at or I thought it was funny um, or something for my artist page. So other than that, I just go on social media to consume. I don't ever po- I rarely post things on there. And I see that constantly too. I, I see people who are involved in the music industry who are constantly talking about political stuff and other things. And and it's not so much that I have a different opinion than someone. It's just the sheer arrogance, I feel, as if it's this ego check. It's where they feel like they their opinion is right. So they're going to shove it in your face. And I see them in their comments arguing with a bunch of people. And then that puts a bad taste in my mouth where I'm like, yeah, this is I thought this might be someone that I might want to work with. But now I don't think so at all, because you see so many red flags scroll through this is one of the reasons why employers will look through your social media feeds because if they see red flags they can see that as causing issues in the workplace environment which is the last thing that they want involved with hr so i'm sure promote it's even more public when you're friends with the promoter you're trying to get booked at a show with and they can see all the nasty shit you're putting on your facebook page yeah absolutely no that that's like a really good point um and even beyond like social media like if you are in the vicinity of somebody who controls your dj career in that town whether it's the promoters or friends of the promoters you need to know your audience 100 percent because it doesn't take uh, more than a 15 word text message and you're canceled and it's like it's it's so crazy because like you know a, a lot of uh, a lot of the artists that we book we're all friends with for the most part and like we've dealt with issues in the past where they'll say something that is outrageous like not okay and 
we've confronted them and it's gotten to the point where it's like almost ended in an altercation but you know ourselves knowing like this could completely screw up what we have going on for our business like this is like we need to you know check our ego at the door as well and make sure we're not going to do anything that jeopardizes our futures so we confront them we say hey like we're not going to book you for shows because like this, if this is your legitimate viewpoint and you think this is funny, like that's not okay. Like you need to understand that what you're doing is wrong and it's going to affect your future. And that goes as far as like racism, um, sexual harassment, sexual assault, anything like, and, and that's a, like a very good point to kind of touch on is like, we, you see it every day. Like there's a new allegation that's out there and I never thought I'd have to deal with this in the production world and like throwing shows because like, I didn't think that there was really that many bad people in the world. And now I'm starting to see like, okay, like, wow, people are really shitty. Like this isn't, and I don't understand why. Cause you know, at myself, like I, I would never do something like that. And I, but I'm not the best person in the world by any means i'm not perfect whatever but i know i have a moral compass i know what right and wrong is and it just seems like a couple of people that we've had issues with in the past like we don't want to book you anymore because it makes us look bad and as as a opening act as a dj that's getting booked by a promoter like it's not the time or place to argue with a promoter about something like that if he brings it to your knowledge, like, Hey, X person that wants to DJ for us. Like we have just been told this about you. We can no, we can't confirm nor deny that it happened, but we're bringing it to light and going forward. We cannot be in a business relationship with you because of said reasons. It's going to harm our brand. It's going to harm our image because if, our production company or our company starts putting on shows with people that are known or alleged, you know, sex offenders, like that makes us look really bad. And I'm not in the business of making myself look bad. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and well, that's, that's the glory of running your own business is you can pick and choose who you want to do business with, which is super important um, for situations like that. Uh, I have I have a question that um, I think that I always I never know whether or not uh, this is a good idea drinking or no drinking as either I would say because I mean if you're a headliner a big headliner you obviously can kind of do whatever you want if you're running the show but for someone who's like a mid-level slot or a an opener drinking or no drinking and I do feel like that does depend on the person running the show if they give a shit. But how do you guys feel about an opener drinking at the show? So I don't, f- I don't really care. Yeah, <laughs> we're from Wisconsin. Like it's yourself. a part of yeah, the culture. Yeah, as long as you can control it. Like, yeah, just don't get fucked up to the point where you can't control yourself, or you're or you like throw up on Nolan. Don't throw up on the guys that are running the show, whatever you do. Don't do drugs that are gonna mess you up if you're gonna do that or if you're gonna drink or whatever. Just like if you're gonna make a fool of yourself and be horrible, then 
that's going to be a reflection on your next set if you're going to get one, you know. But, yeah, if you want to get fucked up and drink and party with the crowd, like, that's fine. Yeah, like, that's what the point of the whole thing is, you know. Yeah. Just as long as you can complete your set and be done with it and, you know, do it well yeah. to the best of your abilities, like, sure, have a couple drinks. I really could care less. I mean, there's there's definite times where, like, I've played shows that I've put on and like I've been asleep for what I believe is like 20 minutes of my show <laughs> and there's video evidence of my eyes being closed and That's like why we're a duo <laughs> right like <laughs> See, if Dylan sleeps then I can DJ and then yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I don't know man like yeah like know your limits when you're an opening act I mean if you're coming out at 10 o'clock to open a show and you're completely wasted like yes it's gonna reflect poorly on you um Unless you play an amazing set. Right. right. <laughs> right. Yeah, play an amazing set. If you right. throw down. I'm kidding. <laughs> You're right. If you throw down, yeah. like, that's that's one thing. Like, all right, cool. <laughs> but now, like, you're this drunk mess because it, it, your, your impression by the promoter doesn't end after your set ends. It's it's honestly just began. So, like, from the, mil- the moment you walk in to the moment that you walk out, like, you are under the watchful eye of those promoters. And that's a big, big thing to understand as an opening artist. So whether you come in with an inflated ego and think you're going to throw down at 10 o'clock to five of your friends that you brought in, and then you immediately leave at 11 when your time slots up, like it's that is going to look so bad on your part if you do. And another thing that I would say is like, if you do get you know messed up or you have a little too much fun go and seek out the promoter whether it's in person in person is always better it's definitely better to apologize in person because then you get the sincerity and be like hey hey man like i'm really sorry for my actions last week like that will never happen again i i just i went a little too overboard and and the biggest thing is like don't don't give excuses, give solutions to the problem. And, and as a promoter, you will, you're going to see that this person is sincere and it also allows us to kind of understand you as a person because impressions are a huge thing in the music industry, especially when you're getting booked as a and respect. It's really, I mean, it comes down to respect. I mean, you if if you were in the same position as the promoter, how would you feel? You right. know, and how would you want someone to approach the the situation? You would want them to show just as much respect, or even, I mean, hell, think of it. If your friend was way fucked up at a show you were just opening and being ridiculous and outrageous, how would you want them to approach the situation the next day or the next week? Um, that's, you know, ultimately how you would want to deal with the situation as well. You want to make sure that you're showing as much respect as possible, especially when it's someone's, you know, they're working, they're doing their job. They're trying to be professional and you don't want to do make the opposite of them. You don't want to show them as being unprofessional. It's not a good situation to be in. Absolutely. In any way. Um, so I guess with the, with like, um, middle slots and, would would you say kind of moving up to the middle slot and even going up to the headliner slot it's just about the consistency of providing value and reaching out and building the relationships a little bit more 
definitely. I, w- I would definitely say that's accurate. I mean, you're not you're not going to get there unless you know you are consistently showing up, being at the shows, playing good sets. Like no one will really believe in you if you you know you show up, you play an opener slot, and you can barely beat match two songs together. Like it, you know that does happen. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> it's, it's happened a lot. Going from middle or mid tier kind of your direct support slot to headlining is 100% about providing value. So like as an opener, you know, your first slot, like if you bring 15 people in consistently for your opening slot, that's, that's really good numbers in our eyes. Um, if you're a mid tier artist and you bring in 30 to 50 people, that's a, that's a really good standpoint to be at. That's a good benchmark to be at. So, um, from mid-tier to headlining, it's it's all about are you going to pack the house and is this going to be financially worth it for us? So we've had... Do ha- you see... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Do you see that happening with local artists in your scene that were like, they were openers mid-level and now you're actually booking them as headliners because they're starting to build <laughs> yeah. a floor? Yeah. We can, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can... Yeah. I can I can name one right off the top of my head. Um, our buddy Garrett, who goes by Flamingo Joe, he played one opening, maybe two opening slots, and then he was immediately a headliner because oh wow the room was packed from start to finish of his set, and he stayed, and everybody that he brought out stayed for that show. Damn, yeah, and, and he he consistently puts together just fire sets, yeah. and he works he, so hard. Yeah, absolutely. There's this last semester while we were running shows, he would show up before the shows and ask us to learn how to set up like it damn he's just like he's on the grind and it's shown a, yeah, a ton. That, and I now think he, that he's moving up now to the point where he's playing in the twin cities right at a in a bigger city at a bigger venue mm-hmm. and he still plays of course with us but mm-hmm. he's playing at you know the, the venue i was talking about skyway the loft and he's playing in twin cities so like if you kind of like rapping like what we've all said like if you put all these things together and you show up and you stay and you bring your friends out and you play fire sets. Like it's going to happen. Yeah. You just have to work your ass off. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not just going to come to you. But and like showing up like that, it just, it gets you that good rapport with some people. Whereas like, I don't really think that Garrett knew the promoters in Minneapolis like that, but we were able to give a good faith recommendation that he was going to show up in Minneapolis and put on a good show for them. So then since then we've, you know, like helped him out there too. And, He's continuing to get booked out there by himself now. Yeah, I think the the big thing here that we're talking about, too, is the consistency in time. This isn't probably, you know, more than likely. Now, I say this a lot. It's it's like a majority of the time you're not going to go from an opener playing no shows to a headlining slot in a year. Now, sometimes you do get the occasional person who plays two opening slots and then immediately goes to a headlining slot. And that that does happen occasionally and you whoever's listening to this episode right now you might be that person if so fucking awesome more power to you work it but a majority of the people listening to this show are not going to be in that situation and so you do have to understand that it takes takes a long time for you to build this support in the local scene and be consistent at it and really grinding and working hard at it and i would say i you guys could probably confirm or deny this that 
I think a large part of going from that mid-level slot to that headliner slot is all about not just going to the shows that you're wanting to be booked at, but going to the other shows that are not throwing the shows that are booking you so that you can continue to network, continue to meet people, continue to meet more friends that aren't going to the shows that you're playing so that you can bring them to the show that you're playing. Or you meet new people and go, oh yeah, I'm also an artist. I'm playing at this venue in two days. You should come to the show. And they're drunk and saying, yeah, what's your number? What's your Snapchat? Let me know. And then I'll bring my friends. And that's how it just cascades from there. Absolutely. And the thing about Garrett is like, he is at every single show. If he's not booked out in Minneapolis, like he's at our venue and he is partying with us. And the other thing that goes a long way with like going from mid tier to headlining um, is gratitude. Saying thank you takes five seconds and a quarter of a breath. If you show an ounce of gratitude and not like, you know, kissing our ass, but just be like, hey, like Garrett was super sincere. Like, when we moved him from an opener to a uh, a headlining slot, he, like he was speechless. He's like, "Are you serious? Like, what? What do you mean? You're like, I don't know if I'm ready to do it." And we're like, "No, like you're ready. Just take the slot, play it. You will, you'll kill it. We believe in you." And and all he said was, "Thanks, man. Like I cannot thank you enough for this opportunity." And he reminds us of that every time we see him. And it's it one, it makes us feel super good as promoters. And two, like, he doesn't have an ego. And it's all kind of like coming full circle with this conversation, I think. Like, not having an ego and being, you know, very gratuitous. That's a word, right? Yeah. Yeah. Grateful. <laughs> grateful. Being very grateful. Um, yeah. Those are good. really good pointers to get you from opener to mid tier and even mid tier to headlining. Um, and, and honestly, like, it, it, I can't stress that enough. Gratefulness is an interesting one because it's it goes hand in hand with ego Um, and being grateful is such a simple thing, but it can be very difficult for a lot of people. Um, And this goes in with, you know, watching people on Facebook. You see people constantly complaining and complaining, but then you you go, dude, you need to step back and sniff the flowers because, I mean, you're sitting here in your house complaining about the world around you while you're on your iPhone on Facebook. Right. <laughs> not be grateful for to like not set, sit back for just even 10 seconds and just picture how grateful that is. Uh, it's a shame. And I, I'm dropping all the books in this episode. So my girlfriend <laughs> for Christmas, she gave me her Amazon uh, Christmas list and she's like, yeah, just get stuff on there. And so I'm constantly sharing the books that I read with her and trying trying to get her to read the books like that we talked about, Ego is the Enemy and whatnot. And uh, she had a book on there called The Six Minute Diary. So I was like, okay, I want to get something that's like kind of self-helpy. Uh, so I, she had no idea what it was. I had no idea what it was. So I get it for her and come Christmas time, we're looking at the book and it is fucking amazing. Another one that I highly recommend people get anyone in general should get this book so it's there's a 66 page intro and it's about how to use the diary and you're supposed to use the diary six minutes a day three minutes for the first entry in the morning and three minutes for the second entry in the evening and the whole diary is based on making getting you to be more mindful and grateful for the small and little things around you 
And the theory behind the book is as you appreciate everything that you have and the good things that you do, it, can, it physically changes your mentality and how you look at the world and how you approach things and how much more just appreciative you are to everything and your mood, dude, immediately changes. It's incredible. The first, um, there's like three different section, sections that you write down for each um, entry. And like the, at the beginning of the day, you write down three things you're grateful for, how you'll make today great. And then the third one is uh, a positive affirmation. And then at the end of the day, you write down three great things you experienced, a good deed that you did that day, and how you're going to improve. It is phenomenal. I I immediately got a book for myself, and I've been doing it for almost a month now. And within the first week, my mood immediately changed where I started realizing I'm like, I'm having good days. Like I'm ending the day well. I'm starting it well. I'm not in a bad mood. I'm not getting as frustrated as I normally do. And then the second I didn't do an entry one day, like two days, I didn't do an entry. I start there was like on that third day, I was very short tempered, getting really frustrated. And I was like, why the fuck am I feeling like this? Because I haven't felt like this in a while. And then I realized I haven't been doing any of my journal entries, my diary entries. I was like, that's when it hit me where I was like, oh, wow, like I'm actually seeing a change in the gratefulness. And if you can get a tackle on being grateful for things around you, that again, just like the ego thing, releasing your ego is going to take you so much further. Because yes, if you can be grateful for the people who are helping you out and helping you get to the places you want to be, just like we were talking about before, scratch someone's back they'll scratch yours if you're providing value they're going to want to work with you more if you show how appreciative you are if you're positive and you are just you like people like being around you that alone is going to take you a million times further than the guy cursing out the promoter because he said no to booking him right yeah you you pretty much just nailed it right on the head there <laughs> well there is one more thing that we, I think all three of us have talked about before to get, you know, move to that next level is there's a certain threshold. You have, you have to be a producer to get. To oh, a level. Like, oh yeah. Like, there, like how many DJs do you know who don't produce music, but headline, like, I guess to be dramatic, like headline a festival. I mean, this Carl Cox. Carl Cox. Carl Cox. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah the one, that's your go-to like, every some... time. You can't just keep using him. He's <laughs> <laughs> one of the greatest DJs. Of the most renowned <laughs> who he time. is. I will, I will <laughs> do that. Carl Cox is one of the greatest DJs. Uh, who was, um, uh, DJ, um, who had the like Chucky mask or whatever. What was his oh. name? What? See, we don't know him because he's not a headliner. What about so. Colonel uh, Sanders? No, he was. That opened Colonel up. Colonel Sanders. Oh my gosh. Oh, Good lord, that was terrible. Uh, <laughs> no, fuck. Who is the people are gonna yell at me because I'm because the people are yelling at their phones right now, telling me the name DJ. God, what was he had like a Chucky ma- uh uh ha- like mask they wore, but he got famous because he threw down on youtube dj videos he was making in like his bedroom and then immediately started selling out venues just djing and he and then he started producing but i think he was getting actual ghost production done DJ yeah blend? no you're you're right oh who this guy dj blend yes dj blend yes that's <laughs> it dj blend oh god good lord yes he he's i mean one of the very few people who is able to just immediately go to a headlining slot just djing but 
where is he now? I mean, all none of us knew his name for like a solid two minutes there. So right. we had to struggle. Like, how many DJs can you name off that headline and produce music? Like, we could go on all night. Yes, yeah. It's it, you're right though. Production is so important to get you to that headline slot. You need to be playing originals. You need yes. to be playing songs that people are getting the fuck down to and they have never heard ever in their entire life. Mm-hmm. That's really what what sets you apart too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That like that's a great like key topic, especially like if you're opening and there's a dead room. How many times do you get to play out one of your originals on a club yep. system? Do so nice. do it like you don't even have to be behind the decks. Like if the room's empty, like us as promoters, like we don't care. Like throw on your new EP and test it. Like yeah, sweet. We want to hear it, it too. We want to hear it too. So like we'll give you feedback in the room as well. Like oh man, like all right, I would change this, this, and this. Like or if you have a ton of tracks that you're playing out and you you don't even have to like say like oh, I want some feedback on this. Like, just play them out and then, like, come up to us and be like, hey, man, like, what do you think of these three tracks? Like, oh, well, here's what we think. This is what we would do to make it sound better on our club system. Then you go back and change it. But um, as far as, like, my personal preference and, like, we've got friends that are just, you know, DJs and and it's it's one thing. Like, they're great. Like, don't get me wrong. They're like, talented you, people, yes. Yeah, there, there's a lot of talent in DJing alone. Like, if you can curate a really good set and just want to DJ and that's what you're good at. Awesome. Keep doing that. Keep driving to get better. But Brandon is 100% right. Like there is a threshold to where if you're just a DJ, nobody at at least in this day and age, I shouldn't say nobody, but a majority of people don't want to come out and see you as just a DJ. Your fan base as a producer that they're going to be listening to your original tracks, your singles, new your ones EP, they haven't heard. Yes. Like consistently releasing music and they you build a fan base that way. And then all of a sudden, like you're playing a live show in their town. Like they're going to come out and see you. And they're, they want to see that as a DJ, like your 55 minute mix cloud mix of the same 18 rhythm tracks that I heard last week. Like that's not gonna make me really want to come out and see your live show because you just played it for me on the internet and I didn't have to go out and spend fifty dollars on liquor and you know <laughs> stumble home. There's a there's always like the famous counterpoint too that a lot of people you know who don't produce music use and that's and it's totally true is there is some people who produce music who are god awful DJs. <laughs> oh yes, Metro but, Boomin. Yeah. <laughs> but but. But I mean, like for for the majority of those situations, there is if you can produce music, you can learn how to be an effective DJ and play out tunes in a club and throw a good show. I mean, it they aren't you know hand in hand necessarily, but like it, one's definitely easier than the other one. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the this is something we talked about in the episode with uh, Sean Johnson um, about getting started with DJing. I mean, buy a $70 controller and just learn to beat match. All you got to do is just learn to beat match and then the rest can come. You can get a $70 controller. It, it doesn't matter about the gear because guess what? You can find someone who has better gear that can teach you that gear. You know, if you're needing to play on CDJs, go to local shows, find someone who has CDJs, friend up with them and ask them to teach you how to play on CDJs. It's pretty, I mean, you can kind of, 
you can figure it out. It's easy. It's just you got to get to that point. So, I mean, if you have $70 to spend, you don't know how to DJ, buy a small controller and just learn how to beat match and then take it from there. But you're 100% right. DJing is only going to get you so far. You have to produce as well in this day and age. It's no longer the 90s. You have to be producing and DJing in order for you to move up. Yeah, I think sure. I think with uh, that Carl Cox point I made earlier, he was at a point to where DJing was emerging as like a big selling point in parties and raves. And that's when the rave culture was really rising up. So he rode that wave and was able to get in at a point to where he just got famous on being an awesome curator mm-hmm. where I don't really think that playing happen 10 anymore. hour sets. Right. Like- <laughs> yeah. That lasts until, you know, 12 the next day, but <laughs> it could be good. Like, Carl Cox, you can do that. It's just, you're going to hit a ceiling where it's like, okay, what's next? But you're not, you're just going to hit this, this ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, I mean, it, it, you're in the day and age where you have to do both. You, you really don't have an option unless you just want to play local gigs and just DJ for 50 people every once in a while. And you want to do that as a side thing. But if you're wanting to be a successful DJ and producer, you have to do both. And that's another thing with like, with like just being a DJ, in my personal opinion, if you're going to local shows and trying to get booked for local shows, don't ask for more than a hundred dollars. My personal opinion, like like you, you don't bring anything more to the table than being a curator. Check your ego at the door. Yeah, you might know everybody in the scene, and they come out and see you, and you can sell tickets. Cool, but just because you can curate the like the best, you know, top fifteen bass house tracks off of Beatport and throw them into a set every week or every time you get booked does not mean that you are worth $500 and bottle service. It's the EDM equivalent of being a cover band. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, it is this. Okay. This is a really good point. This is a point that I wanted to bring up because I think it's important for us to look out for producers and DJs as well. Um, What should they be charging at your, you're an opening DJ. You can bring 15 heads to the door. What should they be asking for? Because I want to make sure, because I, I don't believe that you should be playing for free um, because you are taking time to, you know, learn a craft. You're, you're taking time out of your day to make sure you're putting on a good show. So you should be compensated. Um, now, obviously, $500 is ridiculous for an opening slot, especially if you look at you're playing an hour show. That means you're making $500 an hour. I mean, on let's top be of realistic. bottle service and all this uh, yeah, other stuff. that's that's unrealistic. What would you say for I'm an opening DJ? I'm bringing 15 heads that are going to stay for two hours um, and I can I can DJ. I know how to DJ. It depends I mean, depends on the ticket price. It too. depends on the yeah. venue too. Like if it's <clears throat> Minneapolis and it's twenty five dollar cover, like you might get more than if it's Menominee and it's a free event. Right. So right. it's a hard question to answer, but, but I mean the venue would pick that. Um, I don't know anywhere between twenty and I mean maybe like sixty if it's like you know sixty is even pushing it for me, man. Like we we if opened it's a big if it's Minneapolis. I'd say yeah. so. Like we when we got booked out for our two friends show, which was our very first show in Minneapolis. Like we got paid $40 and like that was Mm -hmm. at 8 PM and two drinks. Yeah. And two drinks. And it was like, okay, like this is eye opening for us. Cause you know, we comp all of the drinks for the DJ while they're playing and kind of like when they're leading around, like 
the maybe like an hour or a half hour on either side of their set. Like we comp their drinks and we pay them 20 bucks, but that's for a local opener. Like just be, just be glad that you got a slot for a show in your town. You will get paid. There's no playing for free. We don't, we don't do that. Like the only people that play for free at our shows are ourselves. Us. Oh yeah. Except for me. (laughs) People that help us out with the show. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. People who really want to see us succeed and they'll, they'll, they'll work for free with us. Yeah. So then how about a, a mid-level slot? What do you think payment should be for a mid-level slot? Like at that point, should you be looking at more towards like one to $200? Oh man. Uh, again, like it's, it goes back to the, the venue dictates that um, for us, it's anywhere mm-hmm. between 60 and 80 um, with comp drinks. It's, um, I don't know. It's hard for us to really pinpoint that because, like, obviously, we would love to pay the same amount that these DJs are getting paid out in these bigger cities, but we just we can't fiscally support that because our budget doesn't allow for that. What we try to really help is um, these mid-tier acts is try to get them to the next level of like preparing to go to a bigger city. So we're going to get you more exposure. We're still going to pay you a pretty decent wage to come out and play music in your town. And then kind of help you um, fine tune your sets and how you present yourself to a larger promoter in a bigger city. Yeah, I mean, I've um, I've played a direct support slot. It was for Electric out at the Loft, and I I got a little bit less than a hundred bucks for that. And I mean, honestly, at that point, I was pretty astounded that I even was awarded that slot. But you know, I I was really if you're in it for the music and all that, like sure getting paid for your time is a bonus, but like just, it goes back to, you know, like be appreciative for you get to play out there and then people get to like, see you doing that. And that, that helps you as well. Like definitely don't play for uh, uh what do they say? Playing for exposure. That's, yeah. that, that's not really a real yeah. thing. It, it works to us an extent depending on the venue or the time you place or play, but like it's, you know, ultimately you're doing it as a passion. And like, once you get to that level where you're playing bigger shows and stuff like that, expect more money, but also still be appreciative of the opportunity to open for people who you really respect. And just, for reference, what did you get for? Because you did Doors for Joyride, right? It was the first. Yeah. What did you get for that? So your opener, opener. Um. It, well, okay. So that was at a venue that they pay you percentage based on people you get in the door, which oh. I don't normally. <laughs> normally. Uh, so like four dollars. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, actually, I, got, I actually, tickets, I I got paid more for that set than I get paid for most shows that I play in Minneapolis. So huh. it worked out. <laughs> I sold some tickets, boys. Book <laughs> <laughs> me for a headline. Uh, <laughs> um, well, let's get into just, you know, the last topic here, which is I, I think this one will be fair, a fairly quick one because we've we've kind of nailed everything here. But for residencies, people who want to play consistently consistent shows once a week, once every couple of weeks at a club or a venue. Again, I feel like that's probably more about providing more value, building strong relationships with who's doing the booking. um, And then if that availability is obviously there and someone slips out um, where, you know, that residency spot opens up. But 
Do you guys have any advice? Is there anything a little bit more to getting that residency? It's, I mean, number one, like, like you said, is the relationship, but two is know the venue, like know what that venue wants to hear. Cause if you're a resident, like odds are you're playing a, you're not like the same style every night, but a very similar style. So like, you know, like if, like if I'm going to a whatever venue, like I know if I go, I'm going to hear this kind of music. So like consistency and then like super duper, like super strong relationships. Cause like you're going to play every night. Like that's a big ask. It's a big buy into the venue. Another, another step with that is just straight marketability of your, uh, of your brand and how you represent yourself and you know, how the promoter feels about your potential as a, an artist or DJ or whatever you want to be. Yeah, I think that I think we covered a ton of that in that episode with Sean Johnson because, like I said, he plays out. He does residencies out in uh, Baltimore, Baltimore, where he lives. So he's very, very brandable. I mean, his whole thing is a brand. And one of the things he brought up for marketing was to actually if if the because a lot of those clubs, their budget is so cheap where they'll only pay you a couple hundred bucks to play the show and so in if you ask too much and they say no a lot of the times what he'll do is he'll make a shit ton of koozies or something like that and tell the venue owner okay well you can't pay me that how about you pay me this plus here are all these koozies pass these out to everyone if they get a beer and it's his branded koozies with his name and all that shit on it. Super good. So idea. That's a great idea. Everyone is around. Oh, Every, yeah, everyone, <laughs> everyone's walking around the club with the koozies with his name on it. And they're remembering him, rem- remembering that night. And then on top of it, what I was talking to him about it was, when was the last fucking time you got a koozie that you just threw it away? Because I have never thrown a koozie away. That's like so, throwing away money. Yes, <laughs> a large majority, a lot, large majority of those people are going to take that koozie home, and then two weeks later, they're going to be hanging out at the pool with their friends with the koozies on, and the people are going to be like, "Who's this guy?" And they're going to be like, "I was at this fucking club two weeks ago. He was passing out these koozies. This guy was throwing down." They go like his Facebook page. Now you have more fans. Kind of like the the last thing that I would say about residency because we just. Um announced that we are going to start having a residency at our venue for this semester. And it was just kind of an idea that I was throwing around because we took a lot of these opening acts or like mid-tier acts that weren't quite yet ready for a headlining slot. So so they were like right on the threshold. And I thought that, you know, this is a way where these guys are really talented at DJing and every time they come out they throw a really good show but they just don't have the numbers to get to that headlining slot yet even though they've played so many different shows for us and every time we've had nothing but good things to say about them they just needed to get their face out there more and get the so-called exposure I would say and now that we're going to have them yeah Okay. <laughs> you gotta get that so-called exposure. <laughs> right, right. I was waiting for it. Those condenser mics are nice. You can pick up a lot of background noise there. <laughs> but yeah, like they're gonna get this exposure. It's gonna be a good experience because they're they're longer time periods than normal hour-long set that they would play for us at a headlining level, and it's gonna allow multiple people that come to our venue on a Friday night which is usually our slower nights, 
and it's going to turn into, okay, they're seeing these guys consistently instead of doing it at a house party. It's at a public venue where they're there with their friends. They can drink legally, all this other stuff. And then as they move forward into the next semester, like we won't have these same residents next semester. We'll have different residents and these guys will be more um, accustomed to getting their headlining slots on Saturdays or whatever. That's, that's actually really sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's genius. You're you're taking these artists who are almost to that headlining slot, giving them that time to where they can build more of a fan base playing music consistently, and then when the time comes, you can transition transition them into that headliner slot, and then move the next guys up from those opening or midline mid level slots up to the headliner or you know the the um the residency slots to do the train. That's doing that's providing so much value to artists and your guys' scene. That is fucking incredible. I really love that. That's a that's a really good idea. Yeah, I mean it's it's like grooming um it it's like grooming you're setting an athlete. people up you you're setting people up for success is what you guys are doing. Exactly. So like it's like taking um like a freshman on the football team and like he starts out in like the C team or, or the practice squad and he's just learning how to do this stuff. And then he goes to junior varsity and then he sits on JV for a couple of years or a year or whatever it is, but he's showing a lot of promise. So maybe as like a junior, like he's on varsity and he's playing as a starter, but it, it's, it takes the work and the effort of that actual DJ because we're not going to give it to people that one, don't deserve it and two, don't show really any interest in playing um these shows for us so like obviously we have a ton of people that want to play shows every week and they wish they could because like obviously it's a lot of fun to play music and all of our artists have a huge passion for music and they love playing shows but it doesn't really matter to us because they don't show that it, it's the the it factor i would have to say like what the the I, the I, driving force behind an artist that's actually going to make them successful right and it, it we saw that with our first three artists that we kind of all came to a consensus because I brought this idea up to the team and I was like, hey, like, let's do a residency on Friday nights. Like, those are historically like really poor nights for us as far as like opening acts, getting shows and getting people out there. Like, let's not spend money on booking out somebody from the Twin Cities, like Minneapolis area to come down and play these shows on Friday nights because they're always going to be a little bit lighter due to other bars in the scene that just kind of control that. And so let's have just local DJs that'll come out uh, once a month on a three-week rotation and let's groom them to be our perfect headliner for the next semester. And hopefully it works out. We don't know. This will be our <laughs> test run. But um, overall, like it's, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Obviously, like I have to do it from Afghanistan, but you know, um, yeah, that's the biggest thing. And I, I think that, that leads into like kind of um, how how we book out for like our festival and stuff because like if you're not even if you're a mid-tier artist like a good mid-tier artist barely makes doors for our festival like you have to be something special to get on that lineup and i feel like a lot of artists <laughs> oh it's crazy like and it just keeps going back to like when we book like we don't ever release our lineup for these bigger events until like probably a month out and even then, it's it's how every other festival does it. It's like tier one, like your headliners, then your mids, and then your everybody else. And 
dude, we get text messages like day one of us even announcing the festival of book me, bro. Book me, bro. You're sleeping on me, bro. Jesus. And it's like, oh my God. Like, You're sleeping on me, bro. It's like, we don't, we haven't even finalized the lineup for it yet. Like, we don't even know who's headlining it. We just put the graphics out there to get people hyped up about it. But so would you say the festival slots, it's like kind keep your eye on it, but don't pay too much attention to it till you're hitting that headlining slot? Yes, one especially for us. Like, don't don't ask to be booked for the festival. Um, one because we already have the lineup that we are going to book out, or at least attempt to book out a year in advance. Like we have been talking about this like three weeks after the festival ended last year. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's like you, unless you deserve it and we feel that you deserve it, like you're probably not going to get booked. We do, however, um, always offer up a contest slot, which is a really cool way to get you know an artist super hyped up about that. Like we'll throw this contest out here because we'll leave one slot open that we couldn't find out any or figure out anybody that we wanted to fill. So whatever, you get an early time slot at a festival. But the thing about this festival is it brings everybody out. Like it is packed wall to wall pretty much from 10 to 2 a.m. every single time and now it that is a great way as an artist especially in your local scene like if you hit up these competitions every chance you get find a competition even if you don't win like these local promoters will probably see your name coming through and be like okay like i've seen this kid a couple of times in these contest slots maybe your stuff's just not up to par and that's the other thing is like getting feedback about your mixing styles and stuff like that's gonna make leaps and bounds but kind of getting off track here as far as no no you're good i mean that's what we do on the podcast we just kind of go on dude um now i think i think the key thing with those festivals is definitely building the relationships with the people who are working them and uh kind of getting in with that crowd it, you know as with most things you got to provide value and build those relationships how many people did you have in attendance last year for your festival jeez oh, well the fir- so the first time we threw it was in february in wisconsin and mind you the week prior it was negative 12 out snowing Ooh. like crazy yeah Dude. yeah so like our stress levels are through the roof we're coming into this we're like oh my god like we are praying that it's gonna work out day of show 35 degrees and sunny it's beautiful um it's still chilly out mind you so we've got we've got it the outdoor venue and we're throwing it outdoors too so it's like uh big nightmare so we have to heat it while our tarp collapse a bunch of equipment got snow on it it was a huge deal but um we sold out which was i think we had like 450 tickets by Damn. 11 p.m and do first it, year yes yeah it was crazy <laughs> but like every time we throw this festival like we put so much on the line and like so much for us is like a couple grand and we're like are we gonna make our money back like we don't go in like oh yeah we're gonna sell out like 100 percent. yeah gonna... you just want to make that money back right and we just keep counting like as we go through like okay how many people do we have here like all right like have we sold enough tickets to where we're making our, our money back and then at 11 30 p.m like right before me and brandon go on i bring my whole team on stage and i'm like guess what we just sold the fuck out like this is insane and it was such a surreal moment because like as a promoter, when you see all this hard work that you 
put something and it finally comes to fruition and it not only comes to fruition it's just overwhelming success like you you don't even know what to feel at that point and all you can do is just be grateful for everybody that's standing in front of you and everybody that you have behind you but yeah i think did we sell out this year nolan i wasn't around so um i mean we bought a lot more wristbands this time around but uh well, like well, we, we bought did. bulk but we we sold probably about the same yeah I'd about, say. i think 400 450 roughly yeah yeah we yeah it was like 400 that's fucking awesome though guys i mean i i love the hustle i appreciate it so much you guys are working hard and grinding and um yeah i mean you guys are doing everything right i this is something i was talking to brandon about on the phone and why i wanted to have you guys on because Brandon was like, oh, I'm not sure if like, you know, what we're doing is really all the right answers or whatever. I'm like, you guys are doing something right. You guys keep doing it and it's getting bigger. It's getting better. People are showing up. You're paying artists like you're moving in the right direction. You're making the right moves. Um, and I, I see the success. I mean, you, you guys are already wildly successful. Uh, it, it can only improve from here. So I, I really love it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, honestly like thank you like kind words are always really really nice to hear because i mean we're we're so short-sighted when it comes to these events like it it gets kind of you got tunnel vision you're just focusing on one thing at a time you don't have time to look at everything else I'm very there's very few moments you can and the, that's like and like we kind of talked about earlier like there's no way one person can run a production like i, I tried doing it when we first started out and it it killed me. Like I was so stressed out every single time. Like I didn't like showing up. And then like the, my team, Brandon, Nolan, Jake, Ben, all those guys, they got involved, more involved. And now I'm pretty confident in the ability of like, if one of those guys was there and they had to do it by themselves, they could, it wouldn't be fun, but they could do it. Mm -hmm. And you have trust. Yes. And it, it that, that is a huge thing is like trust in, your team members and the people that you have behind you because when it comes time to throw your first festival as a production company you are going to be so stressed out with everything that goes on and it right and it just it becomes it's, overwhelming it's yeah yeah well that's why um i want to have you guys on for a second episode because i think um I, I kind of want to do a part two to this because, you know, we focused on getting an artist booked, but now I'd love to go into the subject of actually running a production company because I think there's plenty of people listening to this podcast now where they might be in a small town or even, you know, a medium sized town that they can get people and there are shows going on, but not great shows. And if you see that opening in the market, you have the opportunity to build a team and take it do it because you never know what could happen from it. And um, I, I definitely want to have you guys on for a second episode. Uh, I think we should definitely end it there. Um, we, we got a lot of good information in D Dylan. Do you want to plug anything for uh, you and Brandon, your guys' artist stuff or for so-called this episode? So right now we're recording on January 24th. This episode's coming out February 8th. So I don't know if, Ooh. Uh, yeah, if you guys, oh, well, that's great guys, timing. That's like perfect timing for a lot of us. Um, yeah, yeah. plug plug away. Yeah, uh, so you can follow us um, on Facebook. I'll, I will plug the production company first. So it's at SCP Midwest. Um, that's Instagram, Facebook. Uh, well, we're in Instagram jail right now. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a long story. Um, <laughs> Dylan was uh, selling his feet pics. It was a whole no, ordeal. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a whole deal. But um, yeah, you can follow us there. Um, if uh, you want to follow So Called as the artist duo, production comp- or production duo, um, it's at So Called DJs on SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are not in Instagram jail on our production page, so that's good. Um, we do have a new single coming out, or a couple of new singles coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we're Brandon and I have been experimenting with this whole new mid-tempo sound, and honestly, we love it. Um, we've been prim- primarily future-based guys, and like started listening to 1788L or 1788L and uh, Res, and honestly, like oh. What we got coming out is pretty cool. Like I was very happy with what we developed, and it's going to be super sweet. We're going to be on Bondi Beach Radio, which is an Australian internet radio Ooh, station. Ooh, yeah. Um, we've got a collab coming out with our boy Custom out of Australia. So shout out Marco, that kid's amazing. Been playing out his tunes forever. Um, what else? I'm working on a tune with um, our boy Eldon. He goes by Immersa. I don't know how long that's going to take because I'm sure as you can talk about, no one takes a while. Ellen takes a while to work through his tunes, but we'll get there. Ellen, work on the tunes. What are you doing, man? Quit <laughs> slacking. Let's oh, he, go. He, get he's, going he's on working. the production. He's working. Talented, super talented guy. Just, you know, it's, it takes some time. It's because <laughs> MacBook was made in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> Nolan, do you have anything you'd like to plug, man? Um... I mean, you can follow me at Nolephant. That's N-O-L-E-P-H-A-N-T on all of my social medias. It's just whatever. It's slash Nolephant. Um, coming out with a new song in a couple of weeks. I'm just going to self-release. I've got um, a label release lined up that I don't know if I can even announce that yet. But uh, that's coming up in like April. And yeah, I guess follow the scp page too because we're always doing stuff there lots of we have shows coming up brandon yeah we'll be february well man i'm blanking on the date it's february not first the, is it the february 8th first show i gotta pull up the calendar now i don't know wait aren't you guys playing for like black tiger sex machine coming up or did that oh yeah yeah we're both playing oh you guys are playing a btsm show yeah it's on a side stage but we've got where pretty- where where at and at when's the day? Skyway Theater on uh, March 14th. Nice. Yes, March 14th, Skyway Theater, Studio B. Yep. Um, Black Tiger Sex Machine, open it up for them. Do, go Anyone who's in Minneapolis, I'm sure if you listen to this, you're probably going to go to the show. Definitely go to that show. Well, yes, we are starting our first night is February 7th. We're having our resident Cine out on that Friday night. And then on the 8th, we're having a band out, actually, Nixon's Ghost. Um, so that's our first weekend, February 7th and 8th. So the 14th, we're having our resident avoidance play. It's a Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're kind of a slow rolling start into the year. That's yeah. Well, usually what we do is just, when it's colder, we do less shows. And then when it's warmer, we do more shows because people want to be outside and party. Okay. Yeah. Well, if anyone's in that area, I mean, go to their Facebook page, follow them, go to their show, support them. If you're an, if you're a DJ listening to the show and you haven't met these guys, go to their show, shake their hands, um, and show up, bring people. 
you guys, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate, especially you, Dylan, since you're overseas right now. Um, I really appreciate you guys coming in. So it's five forty-five a.m. right now. I've been <laughs> yeah, been up since two thirty, so that's great. Oh but, boy, uh, I appreciate no. you staying up, man. Oh, no. all the thanks to you, man. Like. I was really hyped up when Brandon said that he got us on a podcast. Like, this is super cool for us. Uh, this is the first podcast that we've really been on. Um, as far as like being able to talk about our production company, um, it it was honestly I can't be I can't thank you enough, man. It's great. I love listening to it. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of the episodes. Um, I listened to the one with Sean Johnson. It was an awesome episode, um, and like. I listened to another one about, you know, focusing on one thing and like hiring out, mixing and mastering engineers and stuff like that. Dude, you're really knowledgeable and everything you talk about is spot on. Sweet. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. But um, yeah, we'll have to get together for another episode. All of your guys' stuff, um, I'll reach out and I'll grab links. So uh, anyone who's interested in following their socials, if you didn't catch them, they'll be on the uh, in the show notes at www.enviousaudio.com slash episode 20. But um, yeah, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. And we'll uh, we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, take care, guys. Thank you so much for checking out the show, guys. As always, head to Facebook.com. Look up Electronic Dance Money Community. Join the group. We're talking business in there. Head to iTunes and Apple Podcasts to rate and review the show. I would really appreciate it. And I'll see you guys next time.